The Big Muddy Music Hour is supported by The Bluff Top at Rocheport, home of Les Bourgeois Vineyards and multiple lodging options in historic Rocheport, Missouri. This getaway location features a tasting room, a wine garden, and a full-service bistro. For more information, visit MissouriWine.com. What's relevant in music from the country of the Midwest and beyond? You're listening to the Big Muddy Music Hour, presented by the Bluff Top at Rocheport. I'm your host, Colin Lavote, the Shameless Voice. How you doing, folks? You feeling good? Feeling steady? Feeling steadfast? I'm feeling great for the most part, <clears throat> and I'm I'm especially excited because, uh, for, well, for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, anyone that has actually subscribed to the podcast feed for the Big Money Music Hour knows that I haven't been too good about publishing to the podcast feed. The Big Money Music Hour is an NPR radio show that broadcasts out of Columbia, Missouri, KBIA-FM, every Sunday night. You can tune in live uh, at KBIA.com, or you can listen to every episode as they aired on BigMoneyMusicHour.com, but... As much as I would like to be able to post these shows just directly as I, I make them for the radio show uh, over to the podcast platform, I can't really do that. I have to edit a whole different version because I can't play the licensed, licensed music that I like to play on the show because part of the whole concept was exposing people to music, so I like spinning tracks. And um, So if you want to hear any episode from previous Big Money Music Hour episodes, you can check them out at BigMoneyMusicHour.com. That being said, I know I've said this before, but I really am going to make a concerted effort to publish some of the previous podcast episodes to the podcast platforms in the coming weeks, specifically because this episode you're about to hear is my 95th episode. Definitely not my 95th podcast, but uh, we're heading up to the 100th episode, and as we approach the 100th episode, I want to bring out some of the really wonderful conversations that I've had with some amazing national artists over the last uh, couple of years, and so expect the feed to be filled with more Big Money Music Hour podcast. So one of the things that I want to start off the show and chat about uh, with this week, my, my guest is Matt and Karina from Pussifer. Uh, I have to start off the show actually with a couple of corrections. <laughs> and, you know, the interesting thing is, is that this whole thing is definitely a labor of love for me. <clears throat> it's something where, yes, I, I have some sponsors and to help underwrite the cost of my time to be able to put the thing on. But I'm pretty much a one man show over here. I'm putting the show together. I'm booking the guests. I'm I'm uh, editing the shows. And then, you know, that's that's why I, I've had trouble keeping up with publishing the podcast platforms. But among the things that I, I want to do better is is coordinating with the publicists that I book these shows with to help promote the episode ahead of time and the podcast when we publish them. And, you know, I, we always do these promo images that, you know, plug the show leading up to it. And this week, whenever we made the image <clears throat> for Matt and Karina, I 
I misspelled Karina's name on both the image and the copy. And <clears throat> Pussifer just happened to comment and uh, correct the spelling. And as a result of the algorithm and whatnot, a, a whole horde of, of Pussifer fans came on and were very upset that I, I made that mistake and I apologize. Uh, you know, it was an honest mistake. I, uh, you know, the, the funny thing is that <clears throat> it, even though it was a mistake and I had a bunch of Pussifer fans blasting me <laughs> on the comment thread, it drew a lot of attention to the show. And so I'm hoping to follow back up with Pussifer's publicists and see if they'll help plug this episode whenever it hits the podcast platforms. And so if you are listening and you saw that post, I apologize to you directly, the fans, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, it was, it was an accident. But I also uh, had a misremembrance during my conversation with Matt and Karina regarding a song that was on the Underworld soundtrack. I share a, a story about how I was working at a movie theater around the time that both Underworld and Queen of the Damned came out, and I misremembered that the Pussifer song was, I, I thought it was on Queen of the Damned, but it was Underworld. I, again, honest mistake, because, you know, this is like turn of the century 2000s, and there was a whole bunch of vampire action movies. And also, if you remember and did watch Queen of the Damned, Queen of the Damned had a really good soundtrack, too, in which uh, Jonathan Davis from Korn did uh, collaborations with the composer for that film. So, anywho couple of corrections right up front uh we're gonna get to my chat with matt and karina here in a moment and i surely hope you enjoy the episode and if you like what you hear please give us a good rating uh hit that subscribe button we have a lot more content that's going to be hitting the podcast platforms in the very near future as we approach the 100th episode of the big money music hour so stick around as the big money music hour keeps on rolling The Big Muddy Music Hour is supported by The Bluff Top at Rocheport, home of Le Bourgeois Vineyards and multiple lodging options in historic Rocheport, Missouri. This getaway location features a tasting room, a wine garden, and a full-service bistro. For more information, visit MissouriWine.com. Also supported by Ozark Mountain Biscuit and Bar, located across from Logboat Brewing Company in Columbia, Missouri. Biscuit and Bar is open six days a week and offers full bar service, an espresso bar with to-go breakfast sandwiches, and serves southern-style comfort food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. For more information, visit OzarkBiscuits.com. The Big Muddy Music Hour is supported by Cooper's Landing Campground and Marina, located on the banks of the Missouri River. Cooper's Landing is home to daily food trucks, a full-service bar, and a full schedule of live music. Cooper's Landing also has a selection of riverside camping spaces for both RVs and tents. For more information, visit cooperslandingmo.com. Also supported by Amber House Bed and Breakfast, located in historic Rochport, Missouri. This full-service inn offers lodging and dinner services open to the public. With locally sourced ingredients, a rotating wine list, and an in-house masseuse. For more information, visit amberhousebb.com. 
The Big Muddy Music Hour is supported by The Dive Bar, located on Business Loop in Columbia, Missouri. The Dive Bar offers full bar service as well as a menu for lunch, dinner, and brunch on the weekends. Food and craft cocktail catering for events is also available. For more information, visit divebarcomo.com. Also supported by the Boone County Historical Society. Since their founding in 1924, the Boone County Historical Society has been preserving Boone County's history for its future generations. Collecting, preserving, and exhibiting historic artifacts, records, and artwork of the people of Boone County. For more information, visit boonhistory.org. Playing what's relevant music from the country of the Midwest and beyond, you are listening to the Big Muddy Music Hour presented by the Bluff Top at Rocheport. I'm your host, Colin Lavote, and this week I am joined by Matt and Karina from Pussifer. Uh, you know, I, there's a lot of things I could say about Pussifer, but you know, the bottom line is, is I, I'm a big fan, and I'm I'm so pleased to Thank have you. both of them Great. on the show this week. Where are y'all calling in from? Yeah. We're on tour, yeah, show in El Paso. We were in a, a Tucson yesterday and El Paso today. And then Fant- somewhere else in Texas tomorrow. San Antonio tomorrow. San Antonio. Well, uh, I mean, the San Antonio slash arid uh, environment is something that I, I definitely associate the act with, so that's definitely something that is par for the course is in terms of how I, I – conceptualize Pussifer in my mind, but before we get too far down the line on the act, I, I generally start the show off with a boilerplate question for all the artists that have been on the show, and that is, what started you off on your musical journey? You know, uh, every different artist has a different response to this, and in particular, I'm curious for Karina, who was born across the pond in England, what started you off? What what made you want to pick up an instrument and start to perform for folks? Uh, Well, music was just a huge part of my home. When I was a kid, I grew up with a single mom, and the you know, it was a big part of the language between us, of our relationship. And um, we had a great vinyl collection. I used to skip school to listen to it. And then, you know, finally, when I started writing words and singing, I kind of always knew I was a singer. Um, the, the instrument part was just it. So I had a vehicle, really, to to be able to, you know, sing. And if I was to write songs, then I needed to be able to play an instrument, at least badly, which I did and I still do. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. So yeah, any... for me, it was just a vehicle. For, it, it was just a vehicle for what was coming out of my mouth. Um, and music was you know my my form of expression you know particularly growing up where I did it was very very poor area and 
you know, just like most musicians, I grew up feeling dislocated from much of my surroundings and and you know that was just my way of feeling safe feeling like I could express myself well uh without being judged for it in some negative way and yeah it was it was just how I felt comfortable so what were some of the vinyls you mentioned skipping school to be able to listen to vinyl what were some of the vinyls that that made you want to skip school? Well, one of the main ones I think I I remember specifically running my fingers, the tactile feeling of running my fingers across the original, you know, the physical graffiti cover that had the windows that had like different things inside the windows. And my mom had that original record and I, I remember that and just putting the record on because I was interested in the cover and just my mind being blown I think you know Led Zeppelin were a huge part of me wanting to listen to him wail and just being like yeah I could do that <laughs> I could express myself like that and you know when I started singing there was a lot of vocal acrobatics and just like express a, like a physical expression through the way I sang and, and he had a, a big part in that and of course Jimmy Page's guitar playing and, and Bonham's drumming were just huge for me and there was also you know early Roxy music records were, were made me want to skip school um there was like a good Neil Young collection Harvest in particular I remember that you know, picking out that record and being interested in it. Um, American Stars and Bars, you know, I don't know. She had a pretty wide, um, she had, you know, a lot of a wide taste in music. Some of it I didn't love, but, <laughs> you know, but yeah, thankfully, thankfully she did and it led me to where I am now. Well, I've always been, to a certain extent, very jealous of a, of female vocalists in terms of how well they can cover songs by Led Zeppelin, you know, because even, you know, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, if you're in that mid-range, you can, re- you can really nail it, you know, whereas me, if, if, I, if I'm, if I'm going to be trying to, trying to sing a Led Zeppelin song, I might be reaching, but Matt, <clears throat> on this side of the pond, what, what, brought you to music what was did you grow up in a a musical home yeah i mean there you know i listened to a lot of my mom had a had a not a big vinyl collection but she she always you know was always vinyl before a tv kind of thing you know especially you know during the day so a lot of a lot of records being played then she definitely had an appreciation for it and then for me you know it was less for me, it started out on the instrument side, you know, just kind of as a as a way to express myself on, I guess, on more of a the opposite. Yeah, the opposite <laughs> of Karina. Yeah, we kind of started in the same place where where the music kind of pulled us in, but then for me, it was it was the the instrument side of it that kind of got me going, and then it wasn't until years later that that um, you know you, you that realized I, people sang that I decided to <laughs> yeah to actually write a song. You know, it was it was kind of just learning the craft and learning, you know, the, how to 
tell a story without words, you know. So we're, we're <clears throat> in terms of your adolescence, as you were moving through picking up the instrument and really kind of refining it, was there, were there any, like, high school bands or things of that sort that that kind of pulled you through? I mean, what, what type of stuff were you playing throughout those years? Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, there was definitely, I mean, quickly, you know, there was a camaraderie with, with other, you know, kids that, that were kind of in the same space learning and, and kind of learning together and growing together as, as, you know, learning about music and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, um, I know from experience, there's some fun stories about Matt's adolescence in music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm going for. That's, that's what, I, that's what I'm reaching for here. <laughs> Not the most PC. Hey, uh, anything anything can be bleeped on NPR, (laughs) and everything else will end up on the podcast anyway. So this is an open canvas for adolescence tomfoolery. Yeah, I mean, much like Karina, kind of grew up in a in a poor you know environment in a place that didn't really seem to kind of fit in. So you know, and and I don't want to speak for her, but kind of both of us saw music as a way to escape and a way to 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 kind of leave the the um, environment that we didn't really feel like we belonged in you know so for me it was you know i I slowly made my way to los angeles but i went from from uh i was born in florida and kind of grew up there and then immediately moved to austin which at the time in in the kind of late 80s and through the 90s it was a really um creative nurturing kind of environment to be a poor kid trying to find your way through music it was it seemed like that's what everyone i knew was doing and it was LA austin oh okay. and yeah not, not la <laughs> la scared scared me uh, not very far from where austin you are was, was, yeah it was it was a very nurturing um environment and no one had money and everyone was doing music and it, at least from my point of view is that um, way you said you lived in a rehearsal room with 12 other people i lived in a rehearsal room yeah <laughs> but everyone i knew did too so <laughs> so it, it <laughs> you know i love that story. yeah that'd be a very but it, it, cultivating uh, experience for you to be able to i mean yeah, if you're, I mean, you're literally living in a rehearsal room with yeah <laughs> that many musicians i mean the the mm-hmm. interesting thing about the show uh, is that it, it, it focuses on the Midwest music scene, and, but, you know, we also look beyond the borders of the, the country of the Midwest, as I call it, to find what is relevant. There's a fantastic music scene here in the Midwest scene, music scene, and I really do think that iron shar- sharpens iron. And whenever you're in a room with a lot of really talented people, it not only can help them, but it can help you as well so i'd have to imagine that it was kind of a similar situation for sure there for sure going back to just the of course the the reason for the season you all are touring as members of pussifer and uh you know i'm i'm curious for both of you what how did you all end up in this act uh, I guess I'll start first. You can tell my story too, because you're <laughs> instrumental in it. Uh, so Maynard had done uh, a couple tracks, like soundtrack singles with Danny Loner for 
for some underworld stuff. And, and then, Queen of um, the Damned, I believe, was the movie that. It, it, as a as a as a quick aside, the the first time I I heard a Pussifer track, I was working at yeah. as a projectionist at a movie theater at the time, and uh, put that the first time I actually heard a, heard a Pussifer track was over the credits of a of a vampire movie that that I believe Pussifer had the uh, the credit the 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 credit song and it would. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but which which has recently done it been redone you know over oh over there's been multiple versions of the song and I I I know it's it's a reference to a biblical uh, scripture although I can't re- yeah. recall the title the, of the name of the song right now. Oh, twenty Yeah. Yep, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, that that's that's kind of how it started, and then um, Maynard and I had. We met um, when they were on tour for the second Perfect Circle record. Um, I was out um, as a in a tech role, um, kind of helping with stuff on stage, and then also helping with with um, backstage recording and things like that. And then when that tour finished, they went in to record the third record. Like immediately went in to record the third record. Asked me to be involved, and then. Um, Maynard and I were working hand in hand, you know, during all the all the vocal recordings and stuff like that. So that's kind of where we kind of really developed our kind of the relationship that we have now, the kind of recording relationship and the you know safe space kind of environment. Um, so then after that record was recorded, Maynard started talking about the idea of of doing a Pussifer album and um asked me to be involved and that's kind of where that all launched off and then they did a couple shows at the pearl and was it the pearl Mm -hmm. in las vegas yeah a couple shows in la and then when we decided to do a proper tour i think that's when you came on yeah i think you had seen me play years prior yeah so i had seen karina at a, a um a little venue in LA called Hotel, Hotel Cafe. Cafe. And um yeah, and then we were we were looking for, you know, for some we, we wanted kind of, you know, two singers and we wanted that to be a you know kind of a signature thing with all the harmonies and stuff that he was doing. We wanted someone that that had a good a good blend with him and and you know and I had had remembered seeing Karina and thought she would be a good fit. So she and I went out to Arizona and worked on some music actually yeah humbling river came out of that session and um yeah so so karina was pretty much around from the from that moment yeah from that (laughs) moment from the first real real touring that we've done yeah so prior to that moment karina you you had quite a atmospheric uh approach in terms of your musical career before you came over to LA, worked with such artists as Glenn Ballard on some of your solo projects. So take take me through that period of time before you came in to Pussifer because you're, you know, a very renowned artist in your own right and you were making a name for yourself in England and then what, what I mean what tell me about that period and tell me about that time prior to joining Pussifer 
before you came over well, to LA? Well, I had um, I had signed to Dave Stewart's label in England. Actually, I made my first record in the UK with a uh, with a friend when I was twenty one. I recorded it in someone's backyard. It was called the First Blood Mystery, and that was you know, it was mainly acoustic guitar and stand-up bass and drums. And it was just the three of us. And we had done some shows like that. And it had gotten the attention of Dave Stewart, who was setting up his own record label in England. So he signed five or six artists to his label. And then quickly the label went under. And I, you know, he had promised that he was going to try and find another deal for the artists so they weren't kind of stranded but in the meantime I used the money that he gave me for an advance to record my record which was ended up being the disconnection and then I released that on my own label in England toured it and eventually I think a year later he he um had a joint venture with, with Jimmy Iovine over at Interscope and, and bought my record to him and I ended up signing to Jimmy and that's when I came to LA. Um, and toured here in the States and then, you know, ended up somehow in the studio with Glenn Ballard, who's, you know, very, very successful and very sweet man, but, it, you know, it was a bad pairing for, for the two of us. I made uh, another record with him, Slow Motion Addict. And then eventually um, parted ways with Interscope and started putting my own records out. And I think that was about around the time when Matt saw me playing. And yeah, I had been already, you know, I think I, I put Tiger Mending out around the time that we did um, conditions. conditions, which I had been working on prior to Pussifer reaching out, and um, yeah, I actually opened on that tour. Yes. That was that was awesome. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, you, so you you came in. That was how that happened. It was was it around? Can and can correct me if I'm wrong, because all I have to go off of is is information online, which we know can, as we all know, can be uh, misinformed at times. Was this around the time that Conditions of My Parole was being recorded, or was it prior to? No, it was around the time that uh, Vagina was being released, and they were touring Vias for Vagina, and although I didn't sing any of the parts on the record, um, actually that had already been released, and they were recording Cs for insert sophomoric whatever it is here <laughs> and I actually ended up singing uh, like we said on Humbling River and on the live version of Vagina Mine that's on there um, and that's that's what that's when I uh, I went out on tour with everybody and so but then I was there for as soon as we came off tour I think pretty much my memory might be weird I'm still fuzzy back then but then we started recording conditions mm -hmm. in the in the house in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Well, so I was there for the recording of that, but I I started with them 
during the recording of uh, C and the touring for uh, Vs for Vagina. Well, uh, aside from the fact that I love all of the album names, I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of Puss for Itself, and in particular, Conditions of My Parole is is my my favorite Puss for album. But this was, you know, the for coming from an act that in which Maynard, who of course was already well known as as the frontman of A Perfect Circle and Tool. Uh, you know, I've had Billy Howardell uh, on on the show recently uh, th- as well, and you know, one of the questions I had is Matt, what do, is there something to the role of being a uh, a technical person of the crew on Maynard's acts that you think lends itself to creating a, a prime territory for collaboration when it comes to original stuff i mean between you and billy uh, it seems like there is kind of a common thread in which there has to be some semblance of a, a just a, an understanding that uh, musically in which it might make uh, maynard comfortable with bringing you and and uh, karina on board as uh, being permanent collaborators on a project that was originally thought to be his uh, quote-unquote creative subconsciousness. Right. I think, um, you know, when when we go out and do a tour, I mean, it, it, we're out for significant periods of time, so the people that you're around kind of become your new, your, your family when you're out there. So when you find family members that you kind of gravitate towards and that you have you find you have similar interests in and maybe similar work ethics then it's kind of a natural i think progression to to um instead of you know seeking out unknowns these are knowns these are people that you've you know that you live with for for months and months on end so um you know for for him i think he sees he saw you know traits in in the two of us that that he kind of resonated with and and um, and that's kind of how that kind of unfolded. Yeah, I think he he has a very specific way of writing, and he if he clicks with the way someone else writes or the way someone else works, then and he resonates with them. I think he wants to keep it going. I think that the fact that Matt is extraordinarily technically proficient is um, a huge part of and how it is presented and also more importantly a huge huge part of why it's so prolific and you know well organized (laughs) um i don't think you necessarily have to be that to work with maynard because i don't know how technical members of tool are but it's certainly um pays forward in terms of um, output. <laughs> you know, you just get, he, Matt really gets shit done all the time. And he's a master of all of the um, tools that he's using. So it just, you know, by the time Maynard has finished Harvest or whatever and goes to Dropbox to look at what it is he has to work on, the folder is already full of 
ideas because that's just kind of person my eyes. And I just think that's, you know, that shows in the, the amount of output that that we have as a band. And then, you know, when you come to the show, how um, effective yet in some ways simple the, the live show is when you see it, it's, you know, it, it is extremely technical, but it hits you in a very emotional way because it, it, it comes across as quite simple. And, uh, you know, both Matt and Maynard spend a lot of time, you know, you can jump in any time and tell them to show <laughs> but they <laughs> spend a lot of time, you know, throwing ideas at each other. And Yeah, and, can you and, can you speak a little bit to that that process, Matt? Actually, I mean, that's, that's one of the things I'm curious about because I've read a few things online in terms of how you all move through the process of creating songs for Pussifer, and I, I could share some of those details, but I'm, uh, I'm, I think that the listeners of the Big Money Music Hour would actually be more interested in hearing it from the horse's mouth, as it were. Um, I mean, my process starts with just kind of brainstorming, so kind of just opening myself up to whatever ideas come out, you know, doesn't necessarily have to sound like anything. It's just whatever is kind of more stream of conscious. Is that before or after you buy a bunch of 80 synthesizers? <laughs> after. <laughs> so there, there's that too. So, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, the tool that you use, you know, definitely, um, like I used to write on guitar and then I felt like it, it, it kind of felt like everything I like, I started having go-tos, you know? So then by not learning on or not uh, writing on a guitar, I found that, you know, you're creating a different set of, you know, go-tos. Go <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. I was telling someone else this too, like, instead of thinking outside the box, just give me another box. So, you know, just trying to have as many boxes as possible to kind of work with it. So, so I, you know, I try to just kind of brainstorm and not have any sort of expectations as to what these things are going to be, throw these ideas up, knowing that I'm working with people that it's a safe space where no one's going to judge anybody. And, and if you think it's bad, I probably will come around to realize that it's bad as well. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the, the good ideas kind of seem to float to the top uh, for everybody. And, um, you know, I think once, once the songs, once we start having three or four, songs that kind of feel like they're turning into songs that's when the story starts to happen and that's when it kind of starts to create an identity of what the record's going to be and what yeah. what is our place in the record and in the songs and you know that's kind of where it kind of takes on its own its own life is kind of once two or three or four ideas kind of start to tell us where we're going can you can either of you speak essentially to the uh what i would call campy nature of of the act because there's i haven't seen the act live uh, it, it, uh which i'm i'm very sorry to say that i, I have not but <clears throat> whether uh, i've i've it's what i've seen from live performances or just the names of the albums as we've already established or the the artwork inherent or the music videos 
there is a a somewhat vaudevillian or 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 you know campy aspect to the act itself. Does that just come inherently as a result of what Maynard brings to your music, or is there is there something that is inherently uh, collaborative in regards to that aspect? Which thing do you mean in particular? Uh, you know, just the the fact that I mean, we're we're talking about the the names of the albums. V is for vagina. I mean, they're they're or right. just the <clears throat> conditions of my parole. The the kind of Hoboken trailer, you know, uh, ex-con aspect of of aspects of of the of what you do put out there. But then there's all, songs like Grand Canyon, which are expansive and, and beautiful and I, and I love all of it but I'm just curious where the uh, the the campy vibes for Pussifer come from well I, I mean we can't necessarily speak to it with any real connection or depth because for that you would have to hear from Maynard but I think you know like we were talking about our safe forms of expression and the lifelines that keep us going one of his is definitely comedy yes you know comedy and story yeah comedy and story and that's how i think he prefers to put across meaning because it's he's not a he's kind of a multi-dimensional being you know and i think the more dimensions he can have to putting the story across whatever it might be, however nuanced it might be, or however specific or non-specific it might be, the better for him. Because, you know, the more you have to play with, the more confusing it will be to the listener. And that ideally is what we want. Because, <laughs> you know, you, Although there is a seed to the story, what there's no fun in handing it the meaning to a listener or watcher or viewer wrapped up in a little package. You know, you want there to be much space for their own interpretation. And I think what we do, it, it, it yes, it's it can be a little. What was the word you used? Campy. Campy, yes. There, there's a certain amount of campiness to it. But people leave these shows in tears because, like I said before, the way it's presented, it just hits you in such an emotional way. I think it leaves you kind of vulnerable and open and with your guard down. And it just allows for those really intense moments to get you deeper you know somehow he can be dressed like that and i i can be dressed the way i am and we can perform a song like horizons and just destroy an audience and it's it works i don't know how it works (laughs) but you know at, at the same time while it's campy everything that's happening is extraordinarily well done well executed you know his he has his voice i have my voice 
Matt has, you know, his guitar tones and his proficiency in, in playing his instruments. And, and then, you know, we have Gunnar and right now we have Greg Edwards and everybody's just great at what they do. And, you know, no matter, no matter what's going on, you put these people together and you're going to receive something good. Absolutely. And I, I mean, no disrespect by calling it campy. I mean, even some, one of the greatest American filmmakers is John Waters, who specifically specifically did camp films. The, the reality is, is that you have those moments of resonance that uh, that hit with both the artist and the audience. And even if you're packaging it in a something that that on its surface may seem silly once you pull back the layers of that onion you're going to find something that's that's really really delicious at the end of the day and I'm, i have no doubt that you have folks leaving in tears but i'm curious i mean when was the last time y'all are in tour right now when when was the last time y'all were on tour is this the, the first tour back since the pandemic that pussifer has been hitting the road no, we toured in the summer too. That was the first leg of the tour. Um, like spring, early summer. Yeah. US. June, July. And uh, yeah, now this is the second leg hitting the new cities. How does it feel getting back out there and playing in front of real people again? I mean, to to me, it's amazing. I don't know how you feel doing it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's it's being away from it for so long because i mean we also hadn't toured in four years prior to the pandemic you know so we were kind of ready and and kind of itching to do it when everything stopped but it feels like um and and i've heard this from other people too that the crowds um you know everyone's missed it and everyone is very very responsive and and i think that you know everyone us and the crowd are, are grateful and appreciative and maybe a little more present in the moment well, also, we have a policy in the shows where no one can use their phone at all. Yes. And that seems to be a very I, Maynard-centric policy, though, right? I've, I believe that I've I've been to a, a Perfect Circle and Tool in the last couple of years, and they have a big, boom, godlike voice basically imploring people not to pull out their phones if they haven't been put yeah. in a stowaway section already, which I think is great because, you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm a very much of the mind that, you know, we, we all just, whether we're at a show or just in everyday life, just be present, just be aware and, and you know, experience the oratory fabulousness of, of what you're experiencing. And you, you don't have to to, yeah. to document it for Instagram or wherever else you want to post it. You can just know that you experienced great live music and, and, and you experienced it and enjoyed it and tomorrow's a new day. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it it's a uh, it's a lot to do with why the you know the vibes of these shows are so amazing for the band, you know, as well as the audience to really feel like you're being present. People are watching and taking in the whole experience, and you can feed off of them. You're not just looking at a sea of phones. It's it's great. It's really great. I wish it was mandatory for all shows. <laughs> I do too, honestly. Uh, well, Karina and Matt, I know that you 
probably have to get ready for another show this evening. So I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on the Big Muddy Music Hour uh, tonight. And uh, yeah, I, I, I hope to have the opportunity to see Pussifer in the very near future. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank, thank you. you.